to uh, turn to Habakkuk. Do you know where Habakkuk is? Jonah, Micah, Nahum. Thank you, Seth. You know, I can do this. <laughs> Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk. It's on page 782. Okay. Um, thank you to Greg Anderson for preaching for us and with us last Sunday. I, uh, um, you know, I was up in Montana and uh, was very confident that we were getting a, uh, an authentic word from the Lord. Uh, from our brother Greg. So thank you. Thank you so much. Um, two Sundays ago, I mentioned briefly, like this was like one-fourth of a sentence. It wasn't even a full sentence. It barely had a noun and a verb. But I said something about Ahua's having the best chips and salsa in the city of Midland. And so we go there for lunch like we do most Sundays. I've never seen so many Love Like Jesus stickers in the parking lot in my life. I walk in there, there's no less than eight or nine tables of GCR people at Ahua's eating the chips and salsa. And I thought, you know, those hard-headed people, they do listen. They listen. I can't ever accuse you of not listening. Next week, I'm going to slip in a line about needing a new truck. So pay attention. Pay attention. All right. We are, we are st uh, starting a very short series on the very short book of Habakkuk. 56 total verses, that's all. But it's so rich. This is so deep, I believe, in leading us to a stronger faith in our God. And this is going to take all three weeks. You're like, 56 verses? Yes. It's going to take all three Sundays to really develop what the inspired prophet is developing here in Habakkuk. And so this is going to be like a journey, okay? I, and we're going to need all three of these lessons to get to where Habakkuk wants us to go, toward this deeper and richer faith in our Lord. And we're going to see ourselves in the text every Sunday. And not all of it's going to be easy. In fact, today might be a little difficult. Habakkuk deals with two primary questions throughout the entire book you've got these two sets of fundamental issues that shape the focus of this book they're questions number one why do good people suffer number two is God truly reigning in goodness and power the answers are number one we don't know number two yes yes that's what shapes this book now a little background here before we jump into the text Habakkuk is a prophet, okay? The Hebrew word in verse 1 is Navi. Say that, Navi. That's one of the few Hebrew words where you don't have to go in the middle of it, all right? Say it again real loud. Navi, that means prophet, okay? That's the word here in verse 1. And the deal with Habakkuk is he is a professional prophet, okay? He's not an amateur. He's not like Amos or Micah or Ezekiel. This guy is employed by the temple. He's a church guy. Habakkuk's job is to compose oracles and worship songs and liturgies for the worship of God's people. And by the way, Habakkuk is prophesying during the absolute worst time politically in Israel's history. Jehoiakim and Zedekiah are the kings, but really they're just political puppets for Nebuchadnezzar. But Habakkuk looks around and all he sees is evil. The national government is corrupt in every way. Jeremiah tells us that while Jehoiakim was king, he was killing innocent people. 
He was refusing to pay the poor laborers their dues. The prophets and the priests were committing adultery and taking bribes and abusing their authority. And the king killed any prophets who dared challenge what was going on. So Habakkuk is living during this awful time and he hated everything he saw. It disturbed him to see the terrible injustice and violence in his world. And so the prophet takes pen in hand and he talks to God. Habakkuk 1. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet received. How long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you, violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed, and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. Certain settings require certain language, okay? We will talk differently. We'll use different lingo and different phrases depending on where we are and what we're doing. Right? You know what I'm talking about? Like, I've never seen Eric Augustin in a courtroom. But I'm assuming when Eric Augustin, the attorney, is in a courtroom, he uses different words and languages and phrases than he would use with me in a casual conversation out here in the hallway. Right? I'm assuming when Eric is arguing a case before a judge and a jury, he's using words like, uh, I don't know, adjudication, uh, habeas corpus, interrogatories. He's using stuff like that, right? And I'm sure in front of a jury and a judge, that's appropriate. It's even necessary and demanded. But if he's using those words with me out here in the parking lot, that is inappropriate, <laughs> right? Number one, I have no idea what they mean. Two, it scares me a little bit. It's intimidating, right? So language has a context and it has a function, right? Radio disc jockeys, they have their own way of communicating when they're in the studio and they're on the air. But if one of my radio DJ friends ran into me in a restaurant, he better not use that kind of talk with me, right? It's not appropriate. If I run into a DJ friend in a restaurant and he says, hey, Big A from the Tall City, how are you doing? I hadn't seen you since 10, 18, 18 minutes after 10 o'clock on that beautiful Tuesday morning, remember? That was two weeks ago. Traffic was snarled on the North Loop because of construction at the 191 Bridge. I think you were my ninth lucky conversation that day. Brought to me by McDonald's. I'm loving it. You know? Stay tuned, Alan. We'll continue this conversation right after this. Don't do that with me. It's not appropriate. That's not the right... When you hear that kind of language, you know you're listening to the radio. Like if you hear people say, 10-4, good buddy, got your ears on? What are you listening to? You're not listening to a commencement speech, right? You're not listening to a eulogy. You know you're listening to truckers on a CB radio. What if William Shakespeare wrote the hokey pokey? You ever thought about that? See, I think about weird stuff like this all the time. Okay, the hokey pokey by William Shakespeare. Oh, proud left foot. That ventures quick within. Then soon upon a backward journey lies. Anon once more the gesture, then begin. 
commands sinistral pedestal to writhe. Commence thou then the fervid hokey-poke, a mad gyration, hips in wanton swirl, to spin, yea, to spin, a wild release from heaven's yoke. Blessed dervish, surely thou canst go. The hoke, the poke. <laughs> Banish now thy doubt. Verily I profess, tis what it's all about. There is a tremendous disconnect there, right? That's a horrible disconnect because certain languages mean certain things. And the language of Habakkuk is church language. The words that he uses, the way the words are written, the fact that Habakkuk is a temple prophet, the fact that God speaks to Habakkuk and uses plural pronouns, the fact that we know later Habakkuk is playing stringed instruments in the temple. These words are meant for corporate worship together. These are temple prayers, just like the Psalms. God's people would chant these words together in their worship assemblies. So just like legalese is meant for the courtroom and DJ chatter is intended for the radio and Shakespeare is meant for the stage, these words of Habakkuk is meant for worship. How long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you don't listen? Or cry out to you, violence, but you don't save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked him in the righteous so that justice is perverted. Verse 13, your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrong. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? We don't hear prayers like this in here on Sunday mornings. We don't pray like this. Not in public. This questioning God, complaining to God, even accusing God of wrongdoing. We don't pray like this in private, much less here in front of everybody in a public assembly. You know, you can hear the despair. You can even hear anger. In Habakkuk's words, right? He is, he is sick and tired of all the evil he sees around him. And he's blaming God for not doing anything about it. In verse 3 and in verse 13, he says twice, Why do you tolerate wrong? The Hebrew word here is nabot. Say that real loud. Nabot. Now say it like you're ticked off, okay? Nabot. You know what that means? Why do you just stand there and not do anything? Why do you just stand there and watch that's what Nabot means. That's what Habakkuk is saying to God. Nabot, why aren't you doing anything? The righteous suffer and the wicked prosper and you just stand there, God, and watch. Nabot. We never pray like that in here. We never question God. We never complain to God. We never accuse God of wrongdoing. So why don't we pray like that in here? Two reasons, I think. One reason is we don't schedule it. We don't plan to pray like this in here. 
When we come together in this room on Sunday mornings, we are determined that these 75 minutes are going to be packed from start to finish with joy and praise and thanksgiving. Everybody smile. Joy of the Lord. Praise God. Jesus saves and our lives are good. Amen? Amen. Yeah. I don't want to beat us up on this because I'm the chief of sinners when it comes to this. But for some of us, we can't smile. For some of us, life isn't that great. I hear people say, they'll get up here sometimes and they'll say, let's forget all of our troubles in the world and let's, let's sing praises to God. Or let's, let's put everything out of your mind that's going wrong in your life and let's come around the table and, and, and eat the Lord's Supper together. Listen, not everybody can do that. I'm in a wheelchair. You just want me to forget about that while we pray to God? My wife's got cancer. You want me to put that out of my mind so we can sing Blessed Assurance? You want me to just forget that my daughter's in rehab or that my husband's left me or that I'm sick? Church, we may as well be asking people to hold their breath for an hour and a half or not come at all. There's a five-year-old student at our discovery school here at Golf Course Road who died last week. Some of y'all are very close to that family and very close to that whole situation. You're going to forget about that when you come in here to worship God on a Sunday morning? I'm afraid we ask people to do that sometimes. Or we imply that that's what we're supposed to do, you know? And I love church in here. I love Easter Sunday. I love Senior Sunday. I love Palm Sunday. I love... Uh, uh, did I already say Kenya Sunday? Whatever, I mean, all this stuff, right? Christmas Eve, I love all that stuff. And we sing in here together and we celebrate and we clap our hands and we introduce new members and we show missions videos and, and we do all this stuff. And I love it. I love that more than I can describe. But we need to think about this. What we do in here together. Because I think we have become guilty in the church of, at best... Not allowing any time or space in our worship assemblies to lament. And at worst, we're telling our people there isn't anything or any reason to lament. We need to think about this. Remember when we did that Hearing God series? When was that? Just a couple of months ago. We had more than 100 portraits hanging out here on this wall. Remember? A hundred different ways. Our church family said, this is how I hear God. This is how God is speaking to me in my life. These are the things God is saying to me right now. Not one single portrait said, I'm not hearing nothing from God. Not one portrait portrayed God as saying, I'm not going to heal your daughter. I am not taking care of you right now. When we were at Legacy in Fort Worth 15, 16 years ago, there was a couple there named Bill and Carolyn Garvin. And they lost their daughter like hours before her 44th birthday. It was tragic. It was a tough deal. She died on a Thursday, I think. The funeral wasn't going to be till Monday or Tuesday. I'm talking to Carolyn, the mom, on a Friday. Here's what she says to me. She says, Alan, do you think it's okay if I'm at church Sunday? Do you think it's too soon? We have failed to communicate to our people that church is the first place. Church is the best place to mourn and to grieve and to complain and to ask questions and to bring our accusations to God. 
open and honest lament. We don't schedule any time for it. And I'm the worst about this. You can ask Corey. I'm a broken record. Anytime we're in here, energy, excitement, enthusiasm, let's go. I don't want any dead air. I want everybody smiling, everybody singing every minute that we're in here together. But these words in Habakkuk, hey, this is how the church prays. Open, honest, not hiding anything, not holding anything back. There are 150 psalms in the Bible. What are the Psalms? The prayer book for the church, right? These are the words that God gives us to use with Him. You know, half of them sound just like Habakkuk. Lament, complaints, questions, accusations. Psalm 6. Be merciful to me, Lord, for I am faint. O Lord, heal me, for my bones are in agony. My soul is in anguish. How long, O oh Lord? How long? Could you pray this prayer? How about this one? Does this sound like you? How long, O oh Lord? Psalm 13. Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow? in my heart could you pray these prayers psalm 22 my god my god why have you forsaken me why are you so far from saving me so far from the words of my groaning oh my god i cry out to you by day but you do not answer by night and you're silent does this feel Familiar to you? Psalm 44. Awake, O Lord. Why do you sleep? Rouse yourself. Do not reject us forever. Why do you hide your face and forget our misery and oppression? Psalm 74. There's every other psalm. Why have you rejected us forever, O God? Why does your anger smolder against the sheep of your pasture? How long will the enemy mock you, O God? Will the foe revile your name forever? Why do you hold back your hand, your right hand? Take it from the folds of your garment and destroy them. How does this feel? Does it feel like church? Psalm 88. Day and night I cry out before you, for my soul is full of trouble, and my life draws near the grave. You have put me in the lowest pit, in the darkest depths. You have taken from me my closest friends. I cry to you for help, O Lord. Why do you reject me and hide your face from me? You have taken my companions and loved ones from me. The darkness is my closest friend. It's not just the Psalms. There are prayers throughout the Scriptures. Job 24 is one. Listen to this line. The groans of the dying rise from the city, and the souls of the wounded cry out for help. But God charges no one 
with wrongdoing. Can you relate to any of that? Man, the Bible's packed with these kinds of prayers. A big part of Israel's worship was making these desperate pleas to God to get off your throne, Lord, and do something. Bringing the violence and the injustice in the world to God. Bringing the evil and the strife and the conflict and the destruction to God and questioning God, wrestling with God, even accusing God of wrongdoing. The way we do church today have we just eliminated that need? God's children have always recognized there is a need to lay all the failures of this life honestly and openly before our loving Father. Why, God? Lord, how much longer? We don't pray like that in here because, one, we don't schedule it. And secondly... We don't pray like that in here because we think that this kind of language is disrespectful. We think this kind of language is a sign of weakness or maybe even a sign of disbelief, a sign of a lack of faith. And that's a shame because a prayer like this shows great faith. The truth is our God sees this open and honest wrestling and questioning of Him as a sign of great faith, church, our God is not displeased with these kinds of prayers. He honors them. Think about it. To demand that God act justly only comes out of our decision that we know God is a God of justice. That God is just, right? If we don't believe God is just, we're not going to go to Him when we see injustice. We'll go somewhere else. What we believe about God, if we really believe it, is what leads to these kinds of prayers. Like we believe in God's omnipotence, right? We believe God is the only God. There is no other God. He's not sharing His power or His authority or His decision-making with any other God. Amen? He made the whole world. We know this about God. He does not deal wickedly with the world. He owns all of it. It all belongs to Him, is what the Bible says. He is the sovereign ruler over all things. And so every single thing that happens in your life, every single thing that happens in this world, good and bad, fair and unfair, happens because God either causes it to happen or He allows it to happen. That's what we know. That is what we believe. That's what leads directly to the prayer. God why? Lord, how much longer? Why do you allow these things to happen? When will you finally interfere, God, and make things right? Nabot, why do you just stand there and watch? We also believe in God's righteousness. We believe God loves the world He created. We believe that God loves us. He loves all of us, amen? He loves the whole world and He deals with us with righteousness and love. He's very concerned with what happens to the people in His world. He's certainly not wicked. Our God is certainly not evil. We know He is compassionate and gracious and loving and kind. Our God is righteous. 
But there's so much cruelty and there's so much suffering in our world that if our God is omnipotent and righteous, that's what leads directly to the prayer. How long is this going to last? God, where are you? Lord, why aren't you doing anything? That's Habakkuk's prayer. That's the prayer of God's people. Now, I want you to listen to God's reply. Starting in verse 5. Listen to what the Lord says to Habakkuk's prayer. This is the word of the Lord. Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. The Lord says, me Nabot, you Nabot, Habakkuk. You watch. You stand there and watch. For I'm going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. I am raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwelling places, not their own. They are a feared and dreaded people. They are a law to themselves and promote their own honor. Their horses are swifter than leopards, fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their cavalry gallops headlong. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like a vulture swooping to devour. They all come bent on violence. Their hordes advance like a desert wind and gather prisoners like sand. They deride kings and scoff at rulers. They laugh at all fortified cities. They build earthen ramps and capture them. Then they sweep past like the wind and go on. Guilty men whose own strength is their God. God responds to the prophet's complaints by telling Habakkuk, you think it's bad now? It's about to get a whole lot worse. You ain't seen nothing yet. Habakkuk, I'm about to do something so awful, so unbelievable, so unexpected. I'm about to take the absolute worst people on this planet, the most ruthless, the most evil people you've ever heard of. I'm going to use them to punish you. And here's where Habakkuk's prayer, I think, reveals his great faith. Habakkuk does not understand any of this. He doesn't get it. It doesn't make sense to him. He does not agree with it. But listen to Habakkuk, verse 12. O Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, we will not die. O Lord, you have appointed them to execute judgment. O Rock, you have ordained them to punish your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrong. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what the Lord will say to me and what answer I am to receive. When God's people in Scripture complain about their troubles, when they lament the injustices of this life, when they seek the solutions to all the evil around them, they don't write letters to the editor or hold court in the coffee shop. They don't call the talk shows. They don't stage a boycott. They don't sign a petition. They don't post it, tweet it, repost it, or like it. They bring their complaints straight to God. Their hurts, their pains, the injustice, their uncertainties, their doubts, their fears. 
They bring it straight to the Lord. And in the case of the Psalms and Habakkuk here, they do it as part of their worship. In the presence of God, in the middle of the congregation, they bring this stuff to the Lord. Listen to the faith, okay? It's unmistakable here. Habakkuk's faith, you can't miss it. Look at verse 12. O Lord, and he says, you are from everlasting. He says, my God, my Holy One, you are my God, Habakkuk says, and I will have no other. We will not die, right? Despite all the evidence to the contrary, despite even what God himself is telling Habakkuk, the prophet is hanging on with this white-knuckled death grip to the promises of God that God's people will never surely die. Oh, rock, he says. I don't understand any of this. I don't agree with what you're doing. It seems unfair. It seems wrong to me. But Lord, rock, my trust is in you. My faith is in you. God tells Habakkuk things are going from bad to worse. But Habakkuk tells God, I'm not going anywhere else for my answers. I'm not seeking anyone else to help me or protect me or save me. Church, this is a complete and total dependence on God. This is a total faith in God alone that He's going to do what's best. Hey, this is a faith that goes way beyond any proof for it or even, you know, that it even exists. Habakkuk is facing exile and starvation and slavery, but he continues to trust our God. So, here's what God's Word is telling us today through Habakkuk. Remember those two questions? Number one, why do good people suffer? Number two, is God truly reigning in goodness and power? The answers are, we don't know. And, yes, yes, our God is truly today reigning in goodness and power listen to the way the lord speaks to habakkuk all of it no matter how evil no matter how wrong no matter how unfair and chaotic it seems all of it is being controlled by god look at verse 5 god says i am going to do something there is a plan verse 6 i am raising up the babylonians look god says this is going somewhere Verse 5, he says, in your days, God says there is a time frame. There, there is a schedule here. This thing is happening exactly when I want it to happen. Next Sunday, we'll talk about verse 3 in chapter 2, and God talks about this appointed time. This thing's happening. God is very much in the middle of it. He's still in charge. And listen, everything that's happening in this world today, everything, that's happening in your world today is subject to and it is bound up with our loving Lord in the eternal kingdom of God. All of it. Things happen for a reason. For God's reason. And we don't always understand what God is doing. We don't. But we don't always need to. James Montgomery Boyce, who wrote an awesome commentary on the Minor Prophets, wrote this. If God were unkind enough to answer our prayers at once, every time, and in our way, we would be very impoverished Christians. Hey, we don't always get it. We don't always see it. We don't always understand it. 
when bad things happen to you or when something really unfair happens to you, it's okay to ask the questions. It's okay to wrestle with God. It's okay to accuse God. But never, never doubt His supreme love for you and His divine justice for you. Some of you, probably many more than I realize, can really relate to what we're talking about this morning. You came here this morning with severe physical pain, maybe, due to a variety of things. Maybe you, you came here this morning dragging in some emotional pain because of something that's going on in your family. Maybe you have lost a job or you have lost a spouse. Maybe your kids have left the church. Maybe your finances have gone off the rails. Maybe you feel attacked. Maybe you feel all alone. The things that have happened to you, the things that are happening to you, they're not fair. They're not fair. They're not right. Maybe you hear Psalm 22 and you're like, that's me. I can relate. Maybe you read Psalm 88 and you're like, I could have written that. That's exactly how I feel. Let me tell you, it's okay to bring that stuff to God. Amen. He can handle that. It's okay to bring your hurts and your fears and your uncertainties and your questions to God. Doing that is an act of faith. It's living by faith in our God and in the power of His promises. And I regret that for a number of reasons, we don't do that very much in here. But we can do it right now. We can do it. I'd like to ask right now, all of our elders and ministers and your spouses, would y'all stand up, please? And would y'all just kind of spread out in this worship center? Would you stand in the aisles and maybe two or three of you in the back and two or three of you down here, uh, down in the front? Listen, we would be so honored to pray with you this morning. And we'd be very honored to, in the name of Jesus... Lift you up and shake our fist at God if we need to. We can. We can remind God that He is a just and loving God and what's happening in your life doesn't feel right. It doesn't seem right. And we'll ask God in the name of Jesus on your behalf to do something about it. To get off His throne and act. And that'll put us in good company with the prophets and with the Psalms. And let me say this last thing. We're going to sing this song and I'm just going to say, come find us. We want to pray with you this morning. We want to faithfully lift up your lament to God. And listen, if you see somebody around you who you would like to pray with, just go do it, okay? Go huddle up with them in their seat, and let's spend some time together in prayer. And, and let me say this, listen, here's, well, here's another thing we know about God. God is not overly concerned with your health, physically or with your security or your safety or with your prosperity or your power, right? He's not. When it comes to your salvation and your sanctification, there are no limits to what our God will do. Just the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus shows us that God will stop at nothing to save you and to take care of you and to provide for you exactly what you need. He'll do whatever it takes to redeem you, to reconcile you, to restore you and this whole world back to Him.
And we'll lift up those things to Him right now in faith and in trust that He is able to keep everything we've committed to Him until that day. Stand with me, church. Let's sing and let's pray.